Hello, and thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm Marcus Robertson, writer reporter with Becker's Healthcare. Today, I have joining the podcast Victoria Gore with Holistic Recovery Services. And Victoria is here to, well, if you'd like to just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, your clinic, that would be awesome. Yeah, so Holistic Recovery Services is my business that's really focused on helping folks with addictions and recovery. Um, and, and I really bring a broad um, type of service for addiction recovery and healing. Uh, you know, there's therapy, of course, I'm licensed for North Dakota. I'm also a recovery coach and I offer courses and programs uh, that really help people with their recovery now and then of course in the future you know that stage two recovery when folks are are have been in recovery for a couple years but there's still these triggers there's still the struggles and so yeah and I also bring this holistic perspective bringing in energy healing and Reiki and other practices that really bring that mind-body spirit connection um, and healing on all levels. Very good. And you said North Dakota. Whereabouts in North Dakota? I'm in Jamestown, kind of in the middle southern part. Uh, so yeah, Jamestown, North Dakota. That's me. All right. Well, you know, you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, what, you, what you're doing with recovery, uh, sorry, with holistic recovery services, but curious, what are some, uh, some barriers to behavioral health care, addiction treatment care that, that you're seeing these days? Um, and if you have any ideas on how some of these barriers to care that you see, if any, are overcome, uh, or, or what strategies have you seen fail, and if so, why? That's a great question. So some of the barriers that I see are really, they come down to maintaining the separation of body, mind, and spirit. Because when we think about addictions or we think about mental health, a lot of times it's either the disease model or there's, you know, mental health that is causing the triggers and, and leading to addictions. And in, really, it's, it's a holistic view, which is really taking down those barriers, right? Because the barrier is that we are not simply just a body. We're not simply just mind. And we're not just energy and spirit either. And so when when the physical health and doctors can bring and work together with those in mental health, and we can bring in this holistic healing, energy healing aspect, then we're really breaking down those barriers. Some of the really successful where clients get the best outcome is clinics, like holistic clinics that have multiple disciplines in the same office. And they're all coming from this understanding and perspective that if if I come in to see someone for my addiction or my mental health, that it's not just about my thoughts. It's not just about CBT. It's not just about, you know, how to address the mind. It's also, what are we eating? What is our body, you know, how is our, our body functioning? Is there sleep difficulties? Is there physical 
things going on as well. And so having practitioners that are aware of that connection, that mind-body-spirit connection, and are really working together and doing staff meetings together, right? And and doing um, cases, case studies, and, and getting that perspective from other disciplines, that's really where I see the most success um, with, with a, treating and dealing with mental health and addiction and a lot of other things as well. Okay, so... So you are seeing success with this kind of um, multidisciplinary, like, you know, whole person health, you know, the, the, yeah. the body is an integrated, you know, system of systems. So stands to reason. You you, you mentioned some, uh, I guess you could call them internal barriers, um, you know, kind of uh, barriers of, I guess, maybe perspective of the individual, you know, kind of seeing things as, um you know, this is, I, I view um, my mental health care in this one way, and that's the only way it can be. Or, you know, maybe someone's got, uh, you know, may, uh, even a cultural barrier where it's, it's you know, something like kind of a taboo to seek mental health care. Do you, are you seeing any of those kind of internal barriers more often than others? What can you tell us? Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, there's always shame and guilt when there's addictions, you know, and I, I would say, of course, I'm not a mental health therapist. I'm, I specialize with addiction. Um, but a lot of clients that I work with, they also may have some mental health and, and there is that shame and guilt with mental health as well. Um, and so there's definitely some of those internal beliefs and those internal barriers that lead to either someone not reaching out for help or when they do, or if they're forced to with courts, um, that they, they really have these walls up, right? There's the defensiveness, there's the, there's the um, not wanting to engage or we're really unsure. And I think what it really comes down to is that anytime that we have fears or we have uncertainty or we have, you know, um, past experiences, I hear that a lot as well. If there's some past experiences of counselors or, or treatment programs that have, have really mistreated them and, and made them feel shameful or made them feel, you know, that they're not trying hard enough or they're not doing enough for their own recovery, that it really can, it can really trigger these, what I call saboteurs. Oh. Um, and, and these saboteurs, the ones I most often find, and this is, you know, it's common language or common um, archetypes, I suppose, that we're all familiar with. Um, where we have a stickler or a controller, or we have a victim or victim mindset, you know, with that uh, a buzzword that people are familiar with, or even a people pleaser, um, you know, those saboteurs, they're there as a defense mechanism. They're there to protect us from harm, what we perceive as harm. And they're based on our past experiences. They're based on, you know, different interactions or situations that we've had to get through that were challenging and difficult for us to get through. And so I often find that if there is barriers, if there are those internal barriers up, it's because the person's subconscious 
is trying to protect them. And, and that's a very easy thing to work with when we are aware that those defense mechanisms are just to preserve the self and just to preserve our own well-being. And so we can work around that by reducing those defense mechanisms. We can work around that by, you know, really addressing the person's fears and talking to those fears and, and really listening to what the person has to say and what their perspective is. And they're going to be, you know, they're going to be different kinds of, of fears and, you know, anxieties and, and mental blocks for the, you know, for each individual person. Absolutely. It's, it's very individualized to the person's experiences, their beliefs, and, and what they were taught in their life as well. You know, oftentimes we develop our defense mechanisms through watching other people growing up defending themselves or you know their responses to stressful situations so we often learn that as well from others around us sure yeah that makes sense and i you know this kind of touches on um if if the sort of behavioral health movement that we're seeing in recent days is going to be successful and equitable i've spoken with a lot of leaders recently who believe that if that's going to be the case, that healthcare needs to meet people where they're at. You know, you can't you can't uh, set up something that's supposed to help people with their behavioral health and and uh, expect them to come to you and conform to what you need. Healthcare needs to meet the patients, and not every person or culture approaches wellness the same way as you're just talking about. So, you know, what are your thoughts about? about all of that? Are there benefits to incorporating some of these, uh, you know, maybe non-traditional options into a patient's treatment plan that, that are not in the, you know, DSM-5 necessarily? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is completely accurate. You know, the leaders that you're speaking with, they, they really have awareness and insight into what is, is actually working for folks. You know, like you said, we can't expect people to meet us where we are, you know, and, and for them to jump through hoops sometimes. I mean, there are, I mean, for example, transportation barriers, there's barriers of, you know, access if in rural areas. And, you know, there's, um, there's, when we meet people where they're at, then we can help them walk towards their health and well-being where from where they are because everybody's in a different place and everybody has different resources that they have access to so it's absolutely accurate that we need to meet people where they are and that includes when we think about mind body spirit that includes you know there might be atheists that don't have that spiritual practices in their life and we can still serve them in a way that we can bring you know, our own healing in terms of science, right? We can bring healing. I mean, spiritual healing is also quantum physics. So we can bring some different language and some different ways that we can really speak to people with their own beliefs and, and be able to create that universal language to, to heal mind, body, spirit, no matter where they're coming from. And, and I think that's a that's a responsibility that every practitioner has that is working in healthcare 
or behavioral health care for folks to really understand and, and get that understanding in assessments and early evaluations of where is this person right now in their journey? And where are they coming from and what perspective are they coming from, from a cultural perspective and, and in general, their resources? And how can we make the service, make our treatment plan, make our, our offering, you know, of healing to, to meet them with those, all those individual factors? And, and that really brings us to, you know, when we create treatment plans, we, we should be touching on mind, body, spirit. We should be touching on what is the person's physical health looking like and how can we improve that while at the same time, what does their mental health look like and how can we work to improve that at the same time? And what does their spiritual health look like and how can we help support and improve that? You know, sometimes folks, their spiritual connection is that they believe in aliens, right? And, and that's okay. You know, if, if that's what they can connect to something outside of our, our earth here and, and just our very small piece of the universe, then that can just help them expand, right? But we just have to understand what is their what is their language? What is their belief? What are the things that we can bring to them to help bridge that gap between mind, body, spirit? Yeah, you were trying, you know, in this line of work, you're trying to to help somebody help themselves, trying to trying to um, care for someone's, I mean, behavioral health. We keep saying, and if you are, you know, trying to do that without addressing something that may be important to that person, like, you know, their faith or their spirituality, that I don't think would be as effective as if you, uh, you know, introduce a care plan that incorporates those things that, that this patient might value very highly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, just thinking about if, if that is important to someone, creating that safe space, for them to communicate that, right? Because if there is shame, guilt, if there is, you know, a lot of touchiness about some of these things that may be important to them, or they feel that it's not important to you as the practitioner, you know, if I have a client that, that I'm, I'm speaking with, I really need to create this safe space where they are comfortable with communicating things that that they might feel judged about, right? Because if I'm creating that safe space for them to open up and talk about the things that are important to them, then I can create the treatment plan that's going to best serve them. And, and I, that's one of the barriers, you know, kind of to circle around to, um, to our, the first part of our conversation, some of the biggest barriers to that happening for clients to open up and, and for them to share the things that are important to them is that container of judgment and, and those feelings of, if I bring this up, will I be judged? Will I be shut down? Will this be you know put aside as if it's not actually that important? Uh, and, and so it's really important that practitioners, doctors, anyone that's in the healthcare behavioral health field, that we are really creating that space of acceptance and and love for them and their journey and their well-being so that we can really communicate, I'm here for you, right? That's really what we want them to feel. 
and and we want them to feel open to to share that back. And you know, just to get a little more specific about addiction, because addiction is so is such it already comes with shame it already comes with the guilt of of you know there's something wrong with me because i have addiction and so when when clients have connections with their doctors or they see new doctors um that a lot of times that's not something that's talked about you know that's not something that gets brought up and a lot of that is the shame and guilt and fear of not being able to get their needs met such for example you know with um, medications or with um, mental health medications or you know controlled substances it's very difficult for someone to talk to a doctor with fear that they may not get their needs met if there's judgment about whether they can responsibly use those controlled substances right but there's a lot of ways that a lot of interventions that doctors and and clinics can use in order to support someone through their addiction journey and also make sure that they have the options for if they're wanting medications if they're wanting you know to have have this option that they also can can take advantage and and have that option for their own well-being um and and you know sometimes it means that the 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 prescriptions are written maybe for a week instead of a month. Maybe there's, you know, more frequent visits to check in. Maybe there's, there is follow-up with how many pills do you have left in your bottle after, you know, three or four days and just monitoring. And, and if there are problems that it doesn't come into a place of punishment of, okay, well now you're just cut off. You know, it comes into a place of, what can I do more to support you? What is it that we can bring in to give you more support with your journey, which may be therapy. It may be, you know, a different um, type of medication. It, it, you know, instead of creating that place of punishment and shaming even more, and sometimes it's not intentional, sometimes, you know, it's out of concern, but it creates shame in that person. Um, and, and so there's a lot of options, you know, harm reduction is a, a buzzword that is, um, is, is very helpful for understanding how we can approach um, folks with addictions without expecting them to be perfect tomorrow. Mm. So touching on, you know, this, this shame and, and guilt factor that's, that can be, you know, really common here. You've kind of touched on this already a little bit, but if you could, if you could tell us, how do we get people to be more willing and comfortable to talk about all this stuff with their doctors? Uh, you know, as I kind of <laughs> put you on this pedestal of having all of the answers, real quick. But uh, what's what are your thoughts here? Uh, well, you know, my thoughts again, it, it just goes back to that that space of acceptance and and non judgment, right? If if it's that shame and guilt that's already there is they're already going to be listening for where is the judgment coming from what statement you know does that sound a little judgmental does that sound like you know they're 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 feeling like i'm there's something wrong with me right so people that already experience shame and already have that in their mind in their thoughts on a regular basis every day they they're very sensitive 
and and very acutely aware. I should maybe put it that way. They're very acutely aware of judgmental tones and judgmental statements that people can make. And so really, you know, coming into the uh, meeting with someone with an open mind and and really just communicating that care and compassion and non-judgmental. That is really those biggest steps. You know, I, I often have clients that come in, you know, they're court ordered and um, and they're already on the defensive because they believe that everything they say to me is going to get back to the courts, you know, that they're, I have to really talk about here's limits of confidentiality. I'm here to support you. My goal is to help you with your addictions and to help you address your addictions. I, I'm not here to punish you. You know, I really have to make that clear and be open about what exactly my intentions are to support this person so that they don't, their own assumptions and their own thoughts of um, shame do not take over. You know, if I leave space for someone to guess whether I'm judge, judging them, they're, I'm already losing them because their own internal defense mechanisms are telling them, yes, they're judging you. And so I really have to be open with, I'm not here to judge you. I really want to support you. I can do that if I know more information, um, things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Just, just you know, being very conscious of your communication, you know, connotations of things you say and tone and got to be very careful about that kind of stuff. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And I would even go a little farther into saying that it's not only about the statements and the words that you use because energy exists, right? Like we can walk into a room and somebody doesn't even have to say anything and we can already feel like maybe they're judging us. Or we can, if we walk into a room where two people have been arguing and they haven't said anything, maybe they're looking away from us and we don't even see their face, but we can still feel that energy, right? So it's not even simply on that, that basic level of what words we're using and being really careful with our communication. It's a deeper level of in your heart, are you judging this person? Because it, even if you are very careful with your words, energy is felt and people can feel that judgment because it's an energy force, right? And so it's really about how can you walk into a situation and actually not be judgmental? How can you listen to a client talk about their addiction and not feel that that there's anything wrong with that person, right? Like we often think, oh, well, there's something wrong with them because they have addiction. But as soon as we think that, as soon as we have that thought, that's, that thought creates an energy that is transferred to our client and to our, the person that we're talking to. And so it goes deeper into what are our own judgments and what are our own saboteurs that are in this space with this client? And how can we ensure that we are coming with an open mind, an open heart, and a loving heart? You can't just talk the talk. You got to walk the walk. And uh... you got, yes. That was a beautiful summary. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Victoria, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast here. It's been a uh, really, really insightful conversation. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was fun. And, um, and I hope that if you have any other questions that we can do this again. Absolutely.
And for our audience, we hope you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, to find more of Becker's podcasts, uh, go to beckershealthcare.com slash podcasts.